Welcome to the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom and grace. Here, we aim to discuss topics relating to how followers of Jesus can more effectively reach Latter-day Saints and their relational networks. My name is Daniel Shugart, and I'm joined today by Ross Anderson. In today's episode, we want to discuss general conference that happened very recently, general conference that happens twice a year in the spring and in the fall. But Ross, what can you tell us about what general conference is and why it is so important to the LDS cultural identity? Well, general conference, as the name might suggest, is a gathering of Latter-day Saints. Uh, They gather twice a year on the first weekend of April and the first weekend of October. And they have a number of sessions um, where the leaders of the church address the people. And so it's interesting, there's a number of things that might come out of observing General Conference. One is you can kind of hear what some of the trends and some of the things that the leaders of the LDS Church are thinking about, some of the things that they view as concerns probably for for their people. Um, Because it happens twice a year, it happens in Salt Lake City in the um, Conference Center, which seats about 20, around 21,000 people. That means lots and lots of Latter-day Saints will not be able to, to visit or view in person, but they broadcast it around the, around the world. And so uh, for years and years, uh, people have been able to watch it on television. And so um, it's basically all day Saturday, all day Sunday on those weekends. Uh, three sessions on Saturday, two, sh- two sessions on Sunday as it stands right now. And so Latter-day Saints anticipate conference because it's an opportunity to hear from the apostles and prophets of God that lead their church as they see it, and because, well, they're interested in it because sometimes breaking news happens at general conference, and, and they'll be interested in like, oh, is some, some new innovation going to be introduced? Um, so in the past, when, when the LDS Church changed their Sunday schedule or they changed their structure of, of how they do interpersonal ministry and so forth, those were announced at conference, and people look forward to that because they think, oh, we're going to hear what, how God is leading his church you know, uh, day in and day out. And then there's another kind of interesting element. There's a certain amount of people watching that goes on. And so people are, are looking at the aging elder, uh, general authorities to see, oh, who's healthy, who's not, you know, uh, oh, what happened? Did so-and-so speak? Did so-and-so not? And, and so it's a window for the faithful on the leadership, and they want to hear from their leaders about what really matters, and uh, at least from their perspective. Mm-hmm. Now, does everyone who's a member of the LDS Church watch General Conference? Yeah, nobody knows for sure, but anecdotally, the answer is no, because um, on General Conference weekend, they cancel their local um, sacrament meeting and other meetings that they have that happen at the local ward, and so so that people can watch it and, and on the Sunday morning session and Sunday afternoon session. Uh, so because of that, nobody knows whether you are watching or not. And so for some LDS people, I know they're playing hooky. Mm-hmm. I, you know, talk to talk to some and hear that. Others are others are tuned in, or they might be tuned in as a family. It's kind of a family event that a lot of LDS families want to do together. Or so they're at least maybe tuned in with one ear. And so it's impossible to quantify that, but mm-hmm. we know that a lot of people, a lot of LDS people, um, are not watching, or they might pick up part of it. Mm-hmm. They might not watch on Saturday. They might watch on Sunday or, or something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I've noticed just relating to the significance of General Conference that uh, a lot of the conference talks are then repeated and used for Sunday morning sacrament meeting talks throughout the next six months afterwards. So it's it's really influential in the way that the, even the local ward will will interact with the content. Yeah, they're all published um, in the in the church publications, the the church magazine, the Liahona. They're all published, so you can read them. Now, now the published versions occasionally are redacted a little bit. Um, there's been times when a a leader in general conference. Uh, maybe said something that he shouldn't have said, <laughs> maybe something a little insensitive or a little off the mark, and then the printed version corrects hmm. you know, that maybe that gaffe or, or that uh, insensitivity. But by and large, they're all available then pretty quickly um, after the fact um, on different media, visu- visually or, or certainly they're printed, and yeah, they do keep recurring um, throughout um, they, they, they sort of so they they set the tone for the life of the church in many ways in the coming six months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this conference, what what were some of the major themes that you noticed? Yeah. So this is um, you know I don't know if you're not listening to this if you're listening to this out of our uh, library of our catalog we're talking about April of 2023 conference um, and and so. There were, there were several themes that, that came through. Some of them have more implications, I think, for our ministries than other ones, than other ones do. There was an interesting theme. All the um, speakers really seemed to mention the fact that it was Palm Sunday. And, and so they ran that up the flagpole a little bit, and along with that sort of a, a renewed emphasis compared to the past on Easter and, and Holy Week and the Easter, and they, there was, an, uh, there was uh, in, encouragement for people to be, for LDS people to be more open to celebrating Easter as a, as a faith holiday. That was one thing that came out of it. There was um, an emphasis on a relationship with Jesus and, and how that affects a person's um, emotions and well-being and psyche. There was talk about love, uh, about rather joy, peace, talk about um, in intimacy with Jesus. Um, and, and so it was interesting to see how that was explored from within the LDS perspective, the LDS mm-hmm. uh, worldview and assumptions. There, on Sunday, there was a lot of emphasis on um, contention in the Church, avoiding contention. And, and there was an interesting talk about um, perfectionism. I thought that so what, what we're seeing in some of these is a sense, I think, a little bit of a window into the LDS church leadership's um, response to maybe some of the felt needs of their members, and maybe in response also to maybe some of the critiques that they're hearing from outside, from hmm. the religious world outside. Yeah, th- so there there were a lot of different sessions, and we certainly don't have time to address all of them. Um, but some of the ones that stood out to me because of a recommendation, I was able to watch. And so I'd love to discuss some of those topics that I thought were really intriguing, mm-hmm. and I think have a lot to say about how we can then approach Latter-day Saint friends and coworkers with an understanding of of some of the topics and yeah. themes from this conference. So one of those was was the one. Um, parsing out some of the difference between uh, being a perfectionist and being perfected in Christ. And the the speaker was using some language like that um, based on some of the 
the um, passages in the Book of Mormon that use the phrase perfected in Christ. And just he recognized that there was uh, a growing sense of unhealthy perfectionism that uh, is a part of LDS culture. And I think he was trying to relieve some of that unhealthy culture um, by by differentiating these two ideas. Yeah. Ultimately, it goes back to um, the Sermon on the Mount, where in King James Version, Jesus says, Be ye therefore perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And in the LDS worldview, that's always been understood or interpreted as, um, really, in an ultimate sense, it's partly their... Um, they understand it in terms of exaltation, deification, but also they understand it in terms of really striving toward um, perfection as in, in your obedience, in your righteousness to God, and in, and in um, you know, living, living the LDS lifestyle. And so, and there are, there are passages, a lot of passages in the Book of Mormon, other places that talk about that, and certainly it's become, I think it has become part of the overall culture, um, because... When your emphasis is on worthiness and your emphasis on living up to all the commandments and 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 enduring to the end, mm-hmm. then it's really hard to avoid a sense of like, oh, you you've got to really get this. Um, now, in the past, in a previous generation, Spencer Kimball's book on the miracle of forgiveness really emphasized the idea that you're not forgiven of a sin just because you confess it and turn from it. You're only forgiven when you never do it again, mm-hmm. and then forgiveness kicks in. And so that's a burden. That's a that's setting the bar really, really, really high. And I think so. I think there's a previous generation of Mormon leaders who really stoked the fires of perfectionism. Mm-hmm. And I think it sounds like they're trying to back off on that somewhat without losing their their sense of you still have to be worthy. But they're trying to back off on it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So one solution that the speaker proposed was. Um, avoiding comparing ourselves with one another. And I I thought this was really interesting. Um, He stated that if we compare ourselves with one another, then either we're going to see ourselves as better than others and we'll become judgmental. He he suggested it's like the Pharisee in Luke chapter 18 um, that's Mm -hmm. up in the temple praying and he's comparing himself with others, particularly the tax collector. He finds himself as better and so he's becoming judgmental. And that's what we don't want to, want to happen. But also, if we compare ourselves to others, we might see ourselves as worse than others, and we may become anxious, self-critical, and discouraged. Mm-hmm. And so he suggests maybe we just should not compare ourselves with one another. Do, do you think that's a helpful suggestion? It is. It is a very helpful suggestion. I think it's a step in the right direction. My question then, though, is like, then, then what do we compare ourselves, or to whom do we compare ourselves? Mm-hmm. Um, how do we know, in Mormonism, how do we know if we're doing okay? How do we know where we stand? Because the list is never-ending, um, and you can always think of times when, oh, I didn't do an, as much as I could have done, you mm-hmm. know? And so I think he's trying to back off a little bit, you know, um, his story about growing up on a on a farm and how um, you know they had they used a, a mechanical seeding uh, process, but there was always seed that was left on the ground. You know mm-hmm. um, they couldn't get a hundred percent lack of waste. You know there was going to be some waste, and, and he said his dad told him, "Well, you can only do so much." 
and then and then he reflected on how um, as a result though then the seed that was left on the ground over the winter and that didn't get didn't, you know they didn't actually the the harvest when they harvested and there was seed they couldn't pick up that got left on the ground over the winter and birds came and ate in it and it was a blessing to have the birds so so he's saying you know we couldn't pick up all the seed we couldn't be perfect in that sense uh, we did what we could and and yet and there was some benefits as a result so he's trying to back off from it but then but it but it raises questions about then what what is enough and honestly have i always done my best mm-hmm. and what if i haven't done my best and then what you know so it's a step in the right direction kind of away from the intense um weight mm-hmm. of living up to the mormon standards but um there's still a, there's still some other questions in there that would maybe plague one's soul i think mm-hmm. yeah with that that story the example that he called the imperfect harvest i see him really redefining what it means to be perfect mm-hmm. so the the harvest itself wasn't perfect it didn't you know gather all of the grain that it was intended to gather um, but it was it was good enough and and like you said as the story goes the birds came and they enjoyed what was left on the ground so in his words it was the harvest was perfected by God even though right. the harvester was not perfect in and gathering the grain and so I I, I see this as really describing good enough is what God really wants. What does God want? We, he wants us to be good enough and he'll perfect it. So we we do our best and God provides the rest. Uh, I noticed in this, the speaker even quoted President Nelson, who tweeted last year. Um, he tweeted, the Lord loves effort. Right. A simple right. quote, the yep. Lord loves effort. And I, I think that while this this idea that perfect is just, hey, do your best effort, give it your best. Um, it may actually reduce the unhealthy pursuit of perfectionism, but what it doesn't, ab- what it's not able to do is it's not able to actually kill the anxiety and uncertainty right. of, have I done enough? Right. What is a good enough effort? How much is good enough? And right. I think that leaves people still truly anxious just like in the comparison example of if we compare ourselves to others and we think we're worse, we end up anxious. Well, here right. we are anxious still. We're anxious still because we're comparing ourselves to what maybe looks like a maybe a moving target mm-hmm. or, a, or it's an uncertain target. I don't know. I don't know if I have given all my effort. You know, I mean, honestly, we look, at, look in the mirror and say, have I, on things that matter the most as a parent or at work or in my relationship with Jesus or whatever, have I always given maximum effort? Well, no, I can, I can say no, <laughs> yeah, I haven't, yeah. you know, I've, I've cut corners and I've, you know, even though, even though I want to do better and sometimes I didn't give my effort, maximum effort without even knowing it, you know, so um, it, it, you're right, it leaves a lot of, a lot of room for, for that heart anxiety and, you know, re- really though, when you look at it from the perspective of the biblical gospel, um, God does demand perfection. Mm-hmm. So the answer, biblically, right? The answer is not, oh, let's let's ratchet down the standard a little bit. The answer is that oh, the standard has been met for us on our behalf by Christ. And so that gets into the question of being perfected by Christ. What does that mean? And I think in in uh, the conference talk, it was oh. 
Jesus will take up and make up the difference, and you know that, that kind of along the lines of make up the difference of what you were not able to do because you did your best, but it wasn't enough. Maybe it wasn't perfect. Um, whereas biblically, the gospel is Jesus will will do it mm-hmm. um, for you when you abide in Him by trust. When you trust Him and and um, t- to do His work, then He will do His work. And so there's still a there's still a, a a disjunction with respect to the, the the gospel because the gospel does say, you know, we we are all we need to be perfect, but we've all sinned and fall short of gl- the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you suggested a minute ago that maybe stopping comparing ourselves to one another could be helpful, but what then do we compare ourselves to? And and I think about the same the same parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke eighteen that. I think the tax collector in the back of the temple was not comparing himself with one another. His his eyes were down. I think he couldn't even look up to heaven because he was comparing himself to God and recognizing that he fell desperately short of God's perfect holiness. And he knew it and it crushed him in a certain way. But the way that that man went home justified that day is because he recognized his weakness. He recognized God's perfect holiness. And he simply asked, for mercy. God have mercy on me, you know, yeah. He just asked for mercy, right? That's a great point. And that the, that's really the point of the, the the story that Jesus told in Luke. The point of it was to identify the terms of justification. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily to identify the toxicity of 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 comparing yourself to others, mm-hmm. but that really he's identifying there what counts for justification to be right with God. And I have, I have a friend who struggles with this idea because my wife and I have told um, this other couple that when we recognize our desperate, sinful state that, oh my goodness, we're so far away from the perfect holiness of God, that that actually gives us a sense of freedom and liberty and comfort. Um, and this, this couple friend of ours struggles to see how could that possibly be good? How could that be good news? And as my wife and I have reflected on it, we've seen really that um, it doesn't lead us to become anxious or self-critical or discouraged when we compare ourselves to God because we actually recognize that Jesus's perfect holiness has been given to us regardless of our performance. Right. And so we can have confidence in Jesus that's based on his perfect work, not our own. Right. And, you know, t- traditionally the LDS objection has been that, well, then, you know, if, if, if that's the case, then you're going to quit trying, you know, mm-hmm. you're going you're gonna to quit being obedient. And, and we found, you know, I think you and I would both say in our, in our lives, we found the exact opposite is the case, mm-hmm. that with that confidence that comes from knowing where you stand, you feel like, I, I can go out, I can, I can take steps of faith, I can try things, I can uh, serve Jesus... Um, you know, without fear of failure, without going like, oh, no, what if, you know, because it, it really releases obedience rather than stifling it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the at the very end of this particular talk, um, the speaker quoted from Moroni 1032, and I think this is a really profound verse. It's a, it's a verse out of the Book of Mormon, Moroni 1032, and it commands us to be perfected in Christ and for us to deny ourselves of all ungodliness in order for God's grace to be sufficient for us. It's really written in 
in the if-then clause, if you are perfected in Christ, if you deny yourselves of all ungodliness, if you love God perfectly, then his grace is sufficient for you. And I see this redefining of what it means to be perfected in Christ, because that's one of the clauses um, of the, the condition. And it means simply, hey, do your best. God does the rest. We give our effort. And, and that's what perfection is. And so, like you said, it really is scaling back what is the standard of what is the standard of perfect obedience? What do we actually need to attain to? And it, it just doesn't have the ability to produce the peace that comes from God's free gift of grace. Right. And it is, it is a redefining of being perfect. Because if you actually look at that verse in verse 33 and unpack them, there's still a tremendous amount, you know, he says, come unto Christ, be perfected in him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. There's mm-hmm. that perfection standard again. Um, and if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind and strength, there's that, that, that perfect standard again. He says, then is his grace sufficient to, for you, that by his grace you may be perfect in Christ. And the next verse, again, he talks about... Um, you know, if by grace you're perfect in Christ and you deny not his power, then are you sanctified. Um, and so there's a lot of, there's still a lot that's riding on my effort, and, mm-hmm. and it's still framed in very much absolute terms of what's expected of me. So if I'm reading Moroni 10, just objectively, uh, let it speak for itself, then I, I'm, not, I'm not seeing, you know, um, this message. Yeah. Um, of of good enough is enough, you know. I'm not seeing that in there. Yeah, and and related to that is the theme that that we saw through a number of different talks, focusing in on how do we get peace, how do we get joy. Um, even one of the speakers really highlighted the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus yep. and recognized that that's, that's not something that they've mastered, but they were, they were feeling like many members need to grow in a personal relationship with Jesus. Uh, but what, what was the pathway that was suggested by all of these speakers that addressed those topics? Yeah, that was really interesting because, because I, they, I f- does feel like they're addressing a felt need um, in Mormonism, or a critique, like I said, but repeatedly um, they all came back to some version of um, keep the commandments and fulfill your covenants. You know, to boil it down. Now, some of them, one of them talked about temple worship, uh, temple worship, daily repentance, scripture study, attending church, receiving ordinances, et cetera, et cetera. And you know, um, I think as Christians we might say that we do go closer to Jesus by being in worship and by reading our, our Bible and, and some of the spiritual disciplines, the means that God has given us. But, but when you take that, that into the context of all these talks, there is tremendous amount of emphasis on, you know, peace comes when you are really living up to the standards. Keeping the, the covenants and commandments were emphasized over and over and over again. And one talk um, he alluded to without necessarily saying them all right out, the five temple covenants mm-hmm. of consecration and obedience and all the rest. So um, it all came down to your relationship with God, you're going to experience intimacy with Jesus, and you're going to experience peace and joy and so forth if, if 
you're you know living up to these standards and you're being faithful and you're doing everything you're supposed to do. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, some of those things are valuable. Some of those things actually can help draw you nearer to Jesus. As as believers, we do want to uh, worship regularly. We do want to devote ourselves to the scriptures and, and studying the word. We do want to be a committed member of a local body, a local church. And so some of these things actually do have a, an ability to draw us nearer to Jesus, but it seems like it, it really lacks a foundation um, that would actually make it possible to have relationship with Jesus, make it possible to have joy, make it possible to have peace. Um, because having having a relationship with Jesus, having peace with God, uh, necessarily must come from us being reconciled to himself. And it's God who makes peace with us through his sacrifice. I've, I've noticed right. some people... Um, will use peace as more like a feeling. Some mm-hmm. people will use peace more as like a standing. Right, exactly. Right, which it, it it's probably it's used both in both ways in scripture. Um, but it but you're right. I think it boils down to the whole approach. The what approach are you approaching Jesus? Or are you approaching these these qualities with? Um, the, you know the the approach, the biblical approach um, that starts with grace. And depends on being mm-hmm. in right relationship with God in the right way, or or an approach that starts with you know um, worthiness and um, commandments and covenants and and so they're taking a biblical concept it seems like and they're reinterpreting it in terms of LDS uh, you know LDS theology and LDS kind of uh, understanding of of human life and and what it takes so so it's 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 the right they're they're asking the right questions in a way and but they're not giving necessarily the right answers mm-hmm. to to that it's fundamental and i think this is we'll talk later we'll talk some more about implications of this for our ministry and witness but i think this is we're going to see this has some pretty important implications in terms of how we talk about the gospel and how we model it and and how we you know, we're talking to people and in a sense in a sense on my mind for years has been okay what intrinsically does the gospel offer to latter-day saints uh, at at a felt need basis obviously it offers to everyone uh, a right relationship with God eternal life and so what does it offer to LDS what are the gifts of the gospel to the LDS people in particular mm-hmm. that speak to their experience? And I think this, I think this is related to that. Yeah, absolutely. Even just last week, I was reading in the book of Colossians, and I came across something that mm. really spoke to this topic. Well, it is so in Colossians chapter one, um, starting in verse nineteen, it says, "For in Him, that's Jesus." In him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him." And so that really stood out to me, particularly that it's God who makes peace. In verse 20, it says, um, making peace by the blood of his cross. And so it's something that Jesus does actively. He's, he's making peace. Peace doesn't just happen in the, 
the absence of conflict because there was conflict. In verse 21, it shows that we who once were alienated and hostile yep. in yep. mind, there was no peace between us and God. Yet in verse 22, it says he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. And so we've been made right with God. We've been reconciled to God by the flesh, by the blood, by the sacrifice that brought hostile people to um, to peace with God. And that that's not something that any of the, the conference speakers brought up. Right. Rather, just here are some ways that you can obey the commands to develop peace in your life. Right, because I think partly their answer to how to have peace with God is, is the same answer. It's, you know, um, the, the Articles of Faith talk about the um, ordinances and principles of the gospel, and it starts with faith, repentance, mm-hmm. baptism, uh, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and then enduring to the end. And so the whole idea of peace with God in the first place in the LDS system really is all about keeping the commandments and fulfilling your covenants. And so it's really no surprise that then they say the application of peace in your um, subjectively in your life uh, is going to have the same similar formula. Yeah, and, and also relationship with Jesus is based on just a love for him and a receiving love from him. And I thought also of the, the parable of the two debtors. This is in Luke 7. Mm-hmm. Jesus tells this parable that two people um, owed a debt, but one owed a great debt and the other owed a smaller debt. And when the, both debts were forgiven, um, which one of those people will love uh, the creditor more? And the, the person who he asked said, well, I suppose the person who had the greater debt forgiven will love more. And Jesus says, yep, that's exactly right. And he's, he's with a woman who um, mm-hmm. was known in the area as a sinner. And so here in verse 47 of Luke chapter 7, it says, Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Right. And so it, the, the love and relationship to Jesus is directly connected to, have we been forgiven much? And the audience that Jesus was speaking with hadn't really been forgiven much because he didn't recognize his own need for forgiveness and right. ask. They were self-righteous people, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Pharisee. But it's interesting you brought that up because it, it, it reflects um, actually a, a conference talk from a generation ago. It still re- represents a lot of how Mormons think, and it was about um, the debtor parable. And in the in the way that, in the retelling from from the LDS perspective, the person who was sharing that, then the debt was not just simply forgiven, mm-hmm. but it was refinanced in a sense. Yes, right. Yeah. And so, and so instead, of, so Jesus comes to the person and says, "I'll take your debt. I'll take your debt. So you're free from the debt, whatever of sin or whatever it is. But now you owe me. Mm-hmm. You know. So now I'm now your new creditor." And so that um, that assumes a completely different kind of relationship with the person who either just completely forgave my debt or the person now who has bought my debt and I owe them. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to perform and pay it off to them. And so I think that's lurking. That understanding of 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 a relationship with Jesus is lurking in the background of all these talks. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and while that talk may have been a generation ago, it's still active in the minds of Latter-day Saints. I've, I've heard it, that particular talk referenced. So what, what are some takeaways that our listeners can grab from this and, and can serve them to share the good news with Latter-day Saints, um, to help churches do the same in light of this year's general yeah, conference? Yeah, that's, that's our, really where we want to get to, is really to explore that together a little bit and ask our listeners to be thinking about that for themselves. But I think, start with the simplest one, I think, probably, is this emphasis on Easter, that mm. the church... The LDS Church has never really ran, run Easter up the flagpole, so to speak. Never really made much of a big deal out out of it. But you know, by by them saying, you know, we should learn from our relig- the religious community around us. They said Christian cousins. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yep. And, and quoted uh, N.T. Wright. Um, so by by giving what he's done is is given LDS people permission, in a sense, to look at what. The Christian world is doing, and I think that might open the door for, or it can open the door for um, LDS people maybe to be more receptive to invitation. So I think that the analogy in my mind is Christmas. Um, at Christmas, LDS churches don't do Christmas Eve service, and so in our experience at the church where I serve, there's a, a lot of LDS people come to Christmas Eve service. It they have permission to do it; doesn't conflict with with their uh, time schedule of their services and so forth. Uh, I think that might be something similar um, in the future, that, that we have maybe more receptivity to invitations to Easter and Holy Week events, um, Good, Good Friday, um, or Easter itself. Um, now, the LDS Church is going to prioritize their own weekly um, ward activities over anything that you know someone might be invited to at my church. So nobody's gonna go mm-hmm. to nobody's gonna go to my church to for Easter Sunday service if it means missing theirs. Someone who might be on the fringe a little bit or if they have general conference you asked me earlier, do people at do everybody does everybody watch general conference? Well, you know, there's some people on a on Easter Sunday if general conference falls on Easter as it often does, then um I think there's some who would be receptive to going to an Easter Sunday service um, rather than, you know, watching General Conference mm-hmm. on, on that Sunday morning. Yeah, I think also really emphasizing grace can be a helpful step, given, given a lot of the talks that emphasized keeping the commands and walking the covenant path as the means of receiving grace, becoming perfected, and growing in peace and joy and relationship with God. Um, I, I think something that we as believers can do is really emphasize the grace that is not dependent on my own works, but is um, dependent on Jesus's work. Yeah. You know, interesting, um, thinking about the implications, practical implications of that, you know, the, the one guy, um, Elder Stanfill, told the story about Harvesting or, or uh, harvesting the seeds, and he made a, he made his point. The story was a great story to make the point he was trying to make. Mm-hmm. So it makes me think about what are some stories and illustrations that we can share with people that emphasize that a relationship with Jesus isn't just about doing more, you mm-hmm. know, and being more faithful and so forth. 
And so I don't know if, uh, if you if anything springs to your mind right now this morning, but I think about um, a parent-child relationship. Um, about what, as a father, I want the best for my kids. I want them to excel and succeed and so forth. But there's also a fundamental uh, relationship that exists, you know, on the basis of um, that, that, that's not conditional. That's not con- conditional at all. And my kids are adopted. So even more so, we just, um, you know, we, we didn't say, oh, do they meet up? Do they match the list of all the qualities that, that I would like to see in a, in a child that is in my family? Because they were infants. Mm-hmm. You know, I, we, we, and we chose them. We chose to say, we want you into, my, into our family. You're now part of our family. And that was unconditional. And now, now I was going to discipline them along the way and, and, and help them to develop habits of character and so forth. But those, those did not necessarily were not the factors that created relationship between us at mm. all. Yeah, and so for me, that's one story that we can tell, that I could tell, that helps uh, um, steer toward the paradigm of grace, maybe away from the paradigm of um, conditional expectations. Mm-hmm. So I think we can learn to to maybe tell stories that that illustrate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really helpful. We had released a podcast a little bit ago about the importance of storytelling in the Latter Day Saint culture and how they'll often use stories rather than theological truths to communicate reality. Um, and so that, that's a really helpful thing that we can do is consider what stories from my life or stories from the Bible can help me communicate the realities that I want Latter-day Saints to learn and understand and grow in. Yeah. I think another suggestion, uh, a takeaway from this is we can be vulnerable and open mm. with our LDS friends about about our neediness, the fact that humanity has such great need, um, because we want to model not perfection, right? And we want to model not um, striving to be perfect, trying to earn, but we rather we want to model confidence before God. Mm-hmm. And like I said, this confidence doesn't come from my obedience, um, but rather my confidence comes from Jesus's obedient work. Yeah, and I think that. That could have a couple of implications. I mean, we're thinking about this in our podcast on a couple of levels. We often we think about um, the the implications for personal witness and the conversations I'm having with LDS people. We also are we want to think about the church's ministry and what what peop, what ministries and churches are doing. Um, and so I think this this one works both ways because we're communicating. And so I on the one hand. Um, on the institutional level, we're thinking about how do I communicate from the pulpit? How do I communicate in our curriculum and our training and stuff like that? Am I communicating up from the pulpit a sense of expectations like, okay, I know I'm saved by grace, but in this church you live a different, you know, you mm-hmm. live by by your um, by your merit or or by by fulfilling our our requirements for you. And so I think it it comes into how we preach and how we present our ministries to people. Um, and you know, obviously, it comes in then in terms of how we share our faith on a day-to-day basis with people that God has brought into our lives, and how am I willing? Like you were telling your story with a couple that you know about a minute ago, you were talking about how the the liberation that you've experienced because you're because you can admit that you're needy before God, poor mm-hmm. in spirit. Jesus said. So I'm curious if you have other thoughts on. Um, on how this applies maybe in 
some of those individual conversations that people might have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've found um, that in, in conversation with Latter-day Saints, I do try to be open about some of the difficulties and brokenness that I've experienced in my life and just allowing that to be open and vulnerable um, because when things come into the light, then they're, they're exposed and they can be um, a- addressed and dealt with. But when things are hidden, then there's speculation, there's questioning, there's uncertainty about character. And so I've always wanted to just be as open and vulnerable as possible um, so that people can recognize that I'm not trying to live up to a particular standard and uh, I'd, better, I'd better hide if I don't, but rather I can have confidence. I'm comfortable with the fact that I've not um, been perfect because I know that in the end, that's not what my relationship with God is dependent on, but rather I have peace with God um, because of him and because of his perfect work. And so that that has been just a really helpful tool that I've used in, in relationship with Latter-day Saints. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. It's hard to do, um, but it really, like you said, models. We don't want to model that the gospel is all about being perfect. Now, do you... Th- so where, where would you draw the line in terms of how vulnerable you get with whom in what conversational settings? I think that could—I don't want to maybe spill my guts to a stranger. Mm-hmm. So, so kind of how do you feel out what it, it is appropriate to say beyond a, a blanket generic, I'm, I'm needy, <laughs> you know, to be more particular and, and model something more specific? Would you—how have you thought about that? Yeah, yeah, it definitely takes a lot of wisdom to decide what to share and how much detail and with whom and in what context. I think all of those factors need need wisdom and thought um, because I want the relationship to be strong enough to carry a, a weight of some of the things that I dump on it. Um, and so if it's if it's a stronger relationship, then I may feel more comfortable unloading more um, and being more vulnerable because I. I think I have confidence in that relationship, That's but when point. when it's a more of a stranger or just a, a, a not as developed relationship, um, then I may be a little bit more generic in, in mm-hmm. sharing and being vulnerable. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I like you, you. You said you know that it has to the relationship has to bear bear the weight. So it's kind of like cr- tra- crossing a bridge, and the if the bridge is shaky, then you know I, I can't really put a lot of weight on it. So that that. The bridge analogy makes sense. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really helpful. Thanks for interacting with this year's general conference. Um, I hope we can continue to learn from Latter-day Saints about the importance of general conference to them and how we can proclaim good news to them in the midst of what they've learned from this conference. Again, this is the CultureWise podcast, where God's good news meets the Latter-day Saints with wisdom 